0: to be with you today. My name is Andrew Jones, as we mentioned earlier. I've just joined the staff as the director of youth, children, and families. And if you're wondering who read the scripture earlier, that was my family. We kind of heard a little bit about them. But my wife of over 20 years is Kim. And then our kids, Jacob, who, as Matt said, is in eighth grade, also was appearing as Samuel. And uh, then Sarah, who, again, is a junior in high school, and still, much to her dismay, Not in charge. But it's difficult being a child or youth. Now, a lot of us think, well, kids have it easy. But social pressure, family expectations, academic responsibilities, kids have a lot of stress. But none of the control or the rights that adults enjoy. The saying goes that children should be seen but not heard, as if the prevailing thought is that children have little to contribute. It kind of leads to the question our sermon is asking. Just as Nathaniel in our gospel lesson asked, Can anything good come of Nazareth? The rhetorical question I have this morning does, uh, Can anything good come from children? Now, it sounds like a horrible, horrible question, right? But ask yourself this Does our society value kids and youth not just for their future future potential, not just as people in process, but for their gifts today in their undeveloped, immature state? Because God does. And we see evidence here in Scripture. As we saw in the story earlier, God calling young Samuel to play a very important role, as we saw, uh, acted out with the wise Eli. You see, throughout the Old Testament, Israel was led by priests, judges, and prophets. God would use priests as intermediary between God and his people. God's people, the, the They would lead worship. They would help in the forgiveness of sins. Judges were these warrior leaders who guided God's people to survive in times of crisis when they were oppressed by other nations. Prophets were literally the mouthpiece of God. They spoke supernatural truth at pivotal times in the journey of God's people. And God... ...chose the young Samuel to fill all three of those roles in a critical time of Israel's history. Samuel's leadership would foreshadow the coming of Jesus, God in the flesh... ...who would speak God's words, advocate for oppressed people, and give his very life to mediate our sin. And Samuel was called as a child? It's remarkable to me. And what about the early disciples... They were not wise men of experience and learning, but young people. Modern psychologists would would characterize them still as youth in late adolescence. Yet these disciples were charged with recording the ministry of Jesus and and starting this institution, the church, which would be God's vehicle to bring hope to the world. Now as a pastor of family ministries who gets to preach about the call of Samuel, a child and then the call of Nathaniel, a youth I feel like I've hit the lectionary jackpot if there is such a thing. So what is it about children and youth that God would charge young people with the most sacred task of moving God's people forward? Well Unlike most adults, and as we heard in the song earlier, kids approach life with a measure of humility and honesty. They know they have not yet arrived, what the songs say. I'm a mess, right? They know they have not yet uh, made it. We are constantly correcting kids. How many times have I told you? And it's because they make so many mistakes And they're corrected so often that kids are perfect vessels of grace. Have you ever messed up in front of a child? They're the best at consoling and forgiving. There was one time when I was getting ready for a science experiment that would be an object lesson for vacation Bible school. You know, I'm getting all the materials together. I spilled water down the front of me, which made it look like maybe I had had an accident. And... Uh, yet it's Vacation Bible School. The show must go on, right? So I get up and stand in front of all the kids, and there was some laughter from, from the people as they saw me. But one of the young boys came up and took my hand, and with all sincerity, he reassured me. He said, that's okay, Pastor Andrew. That happens to me sometimes, too. We are all people in progress, continually being formed and sanctified. Some of us have merely forgotten. First Samuel 3.19 tells us that as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. God continued to form Samuel in his humility. And, and I want to make that that note important, because the same happened with Jesus. Now, we don't like to think about Jesus that way. We expect that Jesus was completely mature in the manger, right? In fact, the hymn says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Mary only wished. (laughs) Um, Luke 2.52 tells us this. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. While the divinity of Jesus cannot be denied, and, and I believe that Jesus was without sin, the humanity of Jesus still had to learn to speak and walk and eat and develop. The young Jesus knew humility. To answer God's call, we need to understand God's greatness. And that only happens when we come in humility. I say that because the young disciples were the first to recognize Jesus as the Christ. From our passage in John, it tells us that Nathaniel is in awe of Jesus' knowledge. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. If Jesus is king, that means we're not. In humility, children are captivated. And from that humility comes worship. In addition to humility, children are keen observers. They have a tremendous sense of curiosity. Canadian author and faith writer Sarah Bessie has often struggled with sorting out some of the things that she learned in the church. And and when she asked these questions, pastors and leaders have said, oh, you just need to have a childlike faith. Stop wrestling, stop worrying. Just just accept what you've been taught. Well, Bessie, who has four children of her own, saw the deep contradiction in a statement like that. If you've ever been around children, the most childlike thing to do is wonder, ask questions, why, why, why? Constantly, children are challenging the rules and trying to figure out the reason behind the way things are. God calls youth and children to ask these questions. Kids keep us honest. They keep us on the path. They remind us the why of our faith. When Nathaniel poses the question, can anything good come of Nazareth? Philip doesn't challenge his curiosity or shame his unbelief. Philip's response is come and see. Young people are leaving the church in droves. It's a national trend. If the church hopes to survive the coming generations, we need to honor the questions of young people. We need to become a come and see community. People need to see us live out our why. Curiosity of youth can only be satisfied by authentic truth. So when our practice matches our preaching, kids will get it. I'm going to say that again. Curiosity of youth can only be satisfied by authentic truth. You know that's right because it rhymes, see? Speaking of authenticity, God calls children and youth because of their authenticity, their honesty, their ability to tell it like it is. Perhaps you have heard the story, The Emperor's New Clothes. It's one of the folk stories of Hans Christian Andersen about a proud king who's scammed into buying the most wonderful clothes that appear to be invisible to all those who lack wisdom. Everyone, at least the adults, who sees this naked king pretends to be impressed. They don't want to be called out as fools. It's only when a child plainly recognizes that the king is wearing no clothes that the whole town realizes they've been duped. The authenticity of kids makes them A believable witness. Kids are honest to a fault. When Samuel hears this horrible news from God about Eli's family, and Eli presses Samuel, say, what has the Lord said? Verse 18 of chapter 3 says, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Eli was his mentor. Eli was his guide as a priest and still Samuel displays this courageous honesty do you ever wonder why Jesus called young simple people to be his followers for, for, his most, for the most part the original disciples had no ulterior motives following Jesus wasn't going to be an opportunity for fortune and fame but a chance to be with the son of God Jesus describes Nathanael in John 1, as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus called young people not for their financial means, physical strength, their ability, or even their adherence to the Old Testament law. No, Jesus called young people because of their pure heart. And being pure at heart is admirable. But the young people called by God have more than good intentions. They also display the audacity to follow. They're bold. There's an openness to the absurdity that maybe, just maybe, the words of God, the stories of God, the witness of God is something we can bet our life on. That it's all true. And so they went. Samuel is called by God even at a young age and he takes his apprenticeship with Eli very, very seriously. Unlike Eli's own children who use that as an opportunity to gain financially or to gain personally. Those who Follow Jesus, the young people who are full of promise, the li- their lives ahead of them. abandoned their livelihood to follow a religious teacher without asking the practical questions that most people ask when they get a new job. I mean, even Judas didn't ask if following Jesus involved dental benefits. They were ready to go, and though they faltered and though they stumbled, they didn't turn back. For these followers of God, it wasn't a short term mission trip. And let me tell you, I love short term mission trips. I'm excited about ASP and and all the opportunities that kids can experience through that. But when these kids and youth followed God, there was no going back to the life they knew. Consider this. A few weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas, right? Christmas is all about hope placed in a child. And while it's true that Jesus is our hope and our Redeemer, we often forget that the hero of Christmas is actually a different child. It's all about Mary, right? I mean, Mary says yes to bearing the incarnation of God as a teenager. And it would be the decision that defines her life. The greatest event in history hinges on the audacity of someone who probably would not be old enough to drive. We need to rethink the present potential of kids and youth in our community. The way that we tame or civilize children to make them productive members of society is known as the domestication of children. In extensive books about children's studies, there's reference to uh, the philosophy behind this kind of uh, attitude toward kids. One book says, in the United States and many other societies, children are viewed in two interrelated ways. First, children are seen as problems for adults. Disrupting, disquieting, and disturbing the everyday activities of adult life. Second, children have problems that can only be addressed or lessened by dedicated adult action and resources. And if we tell kids they are a problem to be solved, rather than a people to be loved, they will believe it. See, children are listening as we teach them through our own actions to look out for themselves, to stop asking impossible questions, if we teach them to settle for a world full of division and hate, because, well, that's just the way it is, folks. Children are listening. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King. Junior Day, and Dr. King said quite a bit about race and equality. We've talked about it all service. But not everyone was ready to hear his message at that time. But there were children who were listening. You see, in May of 1963, the children of Birmingham, Alabama, skipped school one day and met at 6th Street Baptist Church to march through downtown Birmingham. Several of these children were arrested and put in jail, at least for the night. Well, adults probably would have learned their lesson right then and there. But these children, well, they just didn't know any better. They were a little too humble to be embarrassed probably too curious about what would happen if we pushed just a little more. They were too authentic to the truth that all people were created equal and too audacious to give up on the dream of a better nation or a better life. In fact, they decided to do the same thing the next day. But on this day, they faced fire hoses police dogs. They were beaten with clubs. But that wasn't the end of the story. You see, that march made news. Photographs of children being clubbed and and sprayed and bitten. That made national headlines and even touched the world. Some say that the images marked a turning point in the civil rights movement. See, the children's march became a children's crusade and invoked the involvement of the Department of Justice. And John F. Kennedy endorsed federal civil rights legislation at that point. The children dared to dream because the children were listening. When we say to children... You are a beloved child of God. The children are listening. When we encourage their impossible dreams and believe in their audacious goals, the children are listening. God is calling kids and youth in our midst to be the church here and now. We need their humility to seek God. We need their curiosity to challenge our status quo because guess what, folks? It isn't working. We need their authenticity to reflect the truth about our broken world. And we desperately need their audacity to follow Jesus in love in hopes of seeing God's kingdom come. We need to take care that we are listening to their hope and optimism and to take care of what we say because the children are listening. Amen.